Hi Lifehouse, so happy to have you here joining us this morning. My name is Jacob and we are currently in the middle of our Love Handles series, which is a full week series on love. Get comfortable, get your pen and paper as we're about to dive in to this morning's message. Fantastic, thank you Yana for sharing. It's lovely to hear those stories. So yes, we're in our Love Handles uh, series, part three today. And um, 26 years ago, uh, Belinda and I entered into a dance. Now, that wasn't when we started dating and it wasn't when we got married or anything like that. This was before that. We were kind of sort of interested in each other, but uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time and I didn't know that there were rules for dating Christians and kind of things like that, but we kind of still liked each other. So, But 26 years ago, uh, we were in year 12 uh, at school and uh, Belinda came into chemistry class one day and she said, I want to learn to tango. And I thought, it takes two to tango. <laughs> so I could, you know, sacrifice my time to learn to, to tango with her. So um, every dance kind of has a, a message or something attached to it. So like the, the rumba is the dance of, of love, but the, the tango is the dance of passion. Now, I don't know if she knew that or if she kind of, you know, just liked to say, you know, the word tango, like, you know, but like... I, I kind of knew that it was the dance of, of passion. So, like, when I was putting up my hand and saying, yes, I will dance the tango with you, uh, I didn't actually know any of the steps. Didn't know what to do, didn't know how to tango, neither did she. This was uh, the mid-90s, so it was before YouTube. We couldn't just go and Google something and work out how to do it. But um, as... Last week, Pastor Mark was, was talking about VHS tapes. I had a VHS tape of a, uh, a movie called True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. And uh, they danced this tango. So um, our chemistry teacher uh, let us uh, go uh, at Cornerstone out of chemistry class and uh, rewind and play that tango scene from True Lies, learning the tango. And I know some of your parents are thinking, but what about chemistry? <laughs> there was chemistry. There was, there was chemistry, let me tell you. But anyway, so we, the time was approaching and uh, our year 12 formal was coming up. And so we were going to dance this tango at our year 12 formal. So the formal arrived, we were all dressed up nice and uh, we, we get there, we, we give the audio tape. Uh, to, the, uh, to the people at the venue. We get everybody's attention, everyone's there. We get onto the dance floor, uh, the lights dim down, there's a spotlight on us and we are standing there ready to start our tango and nothing. We found out later that one of Belinda's friends sabotaged the tape of the tango 26 years ago. So. We have not practiced this in 26 years. 
We have not rehearsed this. I did not get her permission beforehand. But who would like to see, maybe like... Don't get your hopes up because we have no idea what we're doing. But <laughs> we'll dance the first 10 seconds or so until we can't remember. We're married now. We're kind of, I don't know how they let us do it before, but uh, okay. So uh, do you remember we got any... We've got, we got more than the music. We've got the video. Okay. Are you ready? Play the video, Austin. You have right, to go no, on that side. No, go this side. See, here we go. Here we go. You gotta go. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you gotta spin around. Oh. <laughs> Like this. <laughs> Spin out. <laughs> look at what look at what she's doing. <laughs> All right, that'll do. <laughs> well okay. What does that have anything to do with church or God? Maybe nothing. No, we're talking about relationships, and relationships are like a dance. And someone has to lead, and someone has to follow. And it kind of helps if you know the steps. <laughs> but even in our relationships, just like what happened with us, at our year 12 formal, there are saboteurs, people that are trying, forces that are trying to work against you ever taking a step to the relationship that God um, is calling us to be in. And for our young people that are here, if you're looking for a role model, a good example, where do you go? Where do you go in our, in our current world? Do we Look to, to famous people like Pete Davison, who's obviously better than Kanye West. It's a pretty low bar to set. Maybe Chris Evans, who was just voted a couple of weeks ago the sexiest man alive. So if we look at him, like he, he adopted a dog from an animal shelter. That was pretty good. He's given money to charities like... Meals on Wheels and Childhood Cancer Research. He's a Buddhist. He's pro-abortion. He's pro-same-sex marriage. And when he posted a naked photo of himself on Instagram, he quickly apologised and said it was an accident. And so his fan base increased. And so... You know, if our popularity is going to go up because we post naked photos of ourselves on the internet, is that the model that our young people should be following? Maybe if we look to sports stars, Tiger Woods, NBA star Calvin Woods, who has 14 children to nine different mothers, because that's what you do when you're famous, right? Maybe we should look to politicians, maybe on both sides of Parliament, like Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, for relationship advice. Sadly, even in the church, we look at people like 
Bill Hybels and Ravi Zachariah and Carl Lentz. And we don't necessarily even see there a good example of relationships. Even just a few weeks ago, the Pope had to come out and issue a warning to Catholic nuns to take the pornography off of their mobile phones. So where then should we look to relationship advice? Well, we would say to Jesus, Jesus was sinless. But was the reason that he was sinless because he wasn't married and so had no wife to point out his faults in the first place? No, Jesus is all about relationships. He is coming back for his bride, his spotless bride, the church. It's, it's us. It's the way that he sets this pattern about how he wants to deal and relate to us, his people, is through this idea of a marriage relationship. It's something that is very important to him and so should be very important to us. So then is it just a matter of do what I say, not what I do, when we're giving advice to young people? Well, I think the answer is, is twofold. I think, first of all, there are some great biblically-based Christian marriages that will never appear on the screen, that won't make people famous, and that the world is never going to celebrate. But maybe we need to celebrate it more. And then second of all, I think that sometimes, even as Christians, we don't really know what a Christian relationship should look like. We kind of have, again, ideas about relationships in general, from movies, from TV, from different things. But what does the Bible actually have to say about how relationships should work? How can we get a good handle on how it should look? So whether you're in a relationship, whether you're looking to get into a relationship or looking to get out of a relationship, having a good handle on that biblical picture will help us have better marriages, choose wisely to enter into marriage and maybe avoid the pain of entering into the wrong marriage. So the world kind of has two ways of thinking when it comes to politics or relationships um, and we sort of term them to be uh, the right side of politics or the right side of relationships and then whatever the husband, no, not whatever the husband says, but the, or the left side of relationships or, or politics. And for years, when we look at the right side, it was the 1%, the people with all the money and all the power that get to call the shots. They're the ones that get to lead. If we can have that first picture up, thanks, Austin. We have here a list of the, the top five uh, richest people on the planet. So there's only 10 people in the $100 billion club. If we can go to the next, uh, the next five, there they are. I don't know if you notice anything about that list of people. They're all 
straight white males. But how did they get to the top? I mean, didn't they get to the top? Didn't they make all that money by making the wise choices? And so if we're looking at people to follow and things to do, shouldn't we then just follow whoever's on top, whoever's the smartest, whoever's the, the best? And then that we just follow them, right? Then we read things in the Bible like Ephesians 5, to 24, which says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body as himself, its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. It seems as if the Bible's kind of supporting what we see in the world. So I'm a bit of a visual learner, so I kind of want to, you know, show this kind of visually. So Tim and Danielle, is Danielle in here still? Right here. Tim and Danielle, can you come up here? You're going to be our guinea pigs for relationship. These guys are, you know, things are progressing kind of nicely in this relationship. Is that right? <laughs> okay, come, come to the front here. So, um, so if we're talking about leadership and who should lead, like, you know, if we, if we look at those 10 richest people, they were all uh, straight white males. So you're a straight white male, I assume. Yep. And so uh, if, we, if you can just stand at the front here, uh, because you're going you're gonna to lead, okay? Yeah. Now, Danielle, this, this uh, series is called Love Handle. So, like, basically, he's trying to lead. He's trying to get as far forward. He, he's going to lead in this relationship. And so, basically, what you need to do is uh, hold on to his love handles so that then <laughs> he can, like, lean out as far as he can so that he can lead in the best way he can. But then he's, he's, sort of, he's also like a, a Christian guy and we want to follow the Bible. So can I have that, that first Bible, thanks? And so like, here's, here's the Bible, okay? So that, needs to, that actually needs to lead. So if you can just hold that out as far as you can and up nice and high and then lean out and, and uh, yeah, you hold, like, so that's your job, Danielle. And so this is kind of a picture of... Uh, how like right-wing politics, relationships, everything kind of works. So if you can just do that, you do that, you do that for the rest of your lives. Okay? <laughs> so just, that's, okay, that's, that's sort of right-wing kind of relationships. Okay. Then the left comes along and they say, we, we don't like this idea so we want to do everything opposite to the way that they've done it. So um, Jason and Marianne, can I get you to come up on the stage here, please? Can I have that other Bible? Okay, so yeah, we've got a little, a little black Bible. Okay, so Jason, you're going you're gonna to hold that. Uh, just, just come here. So we're going to do everything opposite to the way that they're doing it because like... Danielle's not having a really 
good time just like holding on there and she's like having to stand behind Tim and Tim's like really straining kind of, you've got to hold it out, it's the word of God, you've got to place importance, <laughs> okay, but so we're going to do the opposite, so Jason like, we're just going to, we're just going to put the Bible down on the ground and while you're down there, why don't you just stay down there, okay, and then um, go on your hands and knees and just turn to the side a bit and uh, then, Marianne, because, like, so we're doing everything opposite. So we've got the Bibles down on the ground. And uh, so what you're going to do, you're going to sit on his love handles over this side. Come and sit. You're a, you're a Filipino female, so that means that you're, you know, in the minority. And so then, uh, yeah, so if you just sit on him. Yeah, just sit, just sit on him. That's fine. Okay, so... This is right-wing relationships, right-wing way of doing things. This is, this is left-wing. You're fine, aren't you, Jason? Yeah. Jason came to me before the service and said, when do we start marriage counselling? This is how we start. <laughs> this is your first lesson. <laughs> okay. So... The only one that kind of looks like that they're happy is probably Mary Ann. <laughs> but in a way, she's probably not too happy either because it looks like that we're trying to balance things up by doing things this way. But in actual fact, we've still kind of said, Mary Ann, you're in the minority and because you had power taken away from you and power's evil, uh, we're going to take it away from Jason and give it to you. So now you're out in front with this evil power that we've just said that you don't know how to use. So none of those sort of seem to work. So then when we, when we get new facts, when we get new information, like what's come out with the, with the census. So we had the census last year, so the census data has come out. And the census data kind of said that Christianity, 43.9% uh, of Australians identified as Christian, which is great. It's the highest religion. The next highest religion is Islam at 3.2%. So it's a, it's a long way out in front. It's a long way out in front, Tim. <laughs> Christianity, is a, it's, a, it's a long way out in front. <laughs> and then there's been all this talk in the media and stuff like that about gender fluidity and people being non-binary and us having to be sensitive around that and change legislation and change rules and change our toilets and change all of this stuff to match in with this idea of, you know, people being non-binary and, and gender fluid. How are you going there, Jace? <laughs> and in the census, when it came out, uh, do you know the percentage of people that identified as non-binary? 0.17%. 0.17%. And so then... Everybody kind of on the right goes, well, if this is democracy and if it should be, you know, we should listen to, the, we should listen to those that have the most power and the most numbers, <laughs> we would say, well, Christians are the biggest group. You should be listening to us. We have the numbers. We have the power. So listen to us. And so the right goes further to the right and the left kind of goes... They're only 
they're being undervalued. The reason that it was so low is because they don't feel welcome, they don't feel as though they have a voice. So we need to listen to their voice more and we need to hear from them more and we need to change legislation to suit them more. And so you see, when we have these two different mindsets, it actually affects everything that we do. When this new information comes out, it doesn't actually, the facts don't actually help bring us together. It actually drives us further apart because we have this sort of information that comes up, but then we have these opinions attached to them. And no longer in the media do we see them presenting facts and allowing us to come up with our opinion. They present their opinion, and somehow we're left to dig through and find actually what the facts are. And so we're left still not knowing what to do or (laughs) how to go. So what's the solution then? Belinda, can you come up here? I'm not going to embarrass you again. Just bring your Bible up. The biblical model, the biblical picture is... Do you want to put your hand on the Bible? I'm going to hold it. It's more like this. Not the male in front, holding out, using power... Not oppressed and giving up power, but actually side by side. You see, Tim is straining. He can't sustain that. He's not, <laughs> he's not perfect. He's not superhuman. And so no one person can sustain. Like if we hold up morals and laws and all of this legislation and look to the government and all of that stuff and say, that's going to be the answer, that's going to be the solution... It's never going to be able to hold or maintain what it was designed to. But this is also not the solution. This takes away power and says power is wrong, power is evil, therefore we'll remove it from anyone who has it. But in the end, it builds nothing. His hands are, his hands are empty. His hands are straining, his hands are empty... but for me because I bring the Bible close and I bring her close I can hold this I'm so much stronger than you Tim I can hold this indefinitely not because I'm stronger or more powerful but because of the way that I'm holding it is holding it closer and beside me give these guys a clap grab your seats Okay, so the rest of that passage that we read in Ephesians says this, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. So this passage goes on to talk about 
slaves obeying masters, children obeying parents. But the one who actually has to change the most, the one who leads in this dance, are the husbands. The others don't really have much of a a choice, much of a say. I mean, slaves obey your masters. What choice did they have? Children obey your parents. Might be a bit different today, but back then, what choice did they have? Even wives obey your husbands in that day, in that culture. Kind of what choice did they have? But husbands love your wives. Give up your life for your wife. Love her. Focus on her. They did have a choice. And this choice was against the culture at the time. It would have been seen as weak. It would have been seen as against the culture. And yet, that is what the Bible was calling them to. It's what the men in this room is what God is calling us to. Not to lead with power but to lead with love. So, in this tango, in this dance of passion and unity, the male leads the dance. But the dance is only a dance if the female also chooses to walk in step with her husband, the way that he is leading and going. So, you see... There's something in this message for everybody to be offended at. (laughs) Are husbands the head of the home? Yes. Can husbands lead with power and control? No. Not according to the biblical model. But they can lead with strength, with humility and with love. And I think that sometimes we misunderstand what humility and meekness are. We equate meekness with weakness. But if you are weak, it means that you don't have the ability, the strength, the power to do something. But that's not meekness, that's not humility, that is just being weak or unable to do something. True humility is when you have the power or the ability to do something, but you choose not to exercise that power with that person at that time. In general, men are physically stronger and can force women to do things. But women can also emotionally manipulate men to do what they want to do. So both need to display humility and love. Whoever loves the most has the least power. Whoever loves the most has the least power. So if men in the room, we are called to lead with love, we actually need to give up power and control. And I say give up not give over power and control to our wives. The focus becomes on how to love 
serve and give, not how to control, manipulate and use. As Mark and Tash shared in previous uh, week's messages, we can live up not only because Christ first loved us. He gave up not only power, but his glory, his freedom, his privilege, his inheritance, his very life, in a great show of humility and strength. He chose to give up everything for us on the cross, to love us and to be in relationship with us. So Christian men, as you are called into this dance of passion, you are called to take the first step, to take the lead in love, following in Christ's footsteps. And Christian women in the room, you are called to follow that lead in humble submission. So, are you ready for a relationship? Can this improve the relationship that you are already in? Are there things that need to work on in your marriage? A few years ago, <clears throat> the New York Times released a, a study. They'd done extensive research on love and how people fall in love. And they released a list of 32 questions. And what they said was, ask your partner or your partner-to-be these 32 questions and then stare into their eyes for four minutes straight and you are guaranteed to fall in love. Who wants to see the list? Can we put up the list, Austin? There they are. There's the, there's the 32 questions. Now, we did these with uh, Nat and Aaron Long, and uh, they weren't Nat and Aaron Long at the time, but can I say, we made them do this as part of their pre-marriage counselling, Jason. They, stared, they asked the 32 questions, they stared into each other's eyes for four minutes, and two years later, they were married, and they've been happily married ever since. <coughs> but despite what you may think, are you still listening to me, single ladies, or are you trying to jot down the, <laughs> the questions? Austin, make it small so that they can't see it. So they... <laughs> I'll give it to you afterwards, Nicole, it's all right. <laughs> so, despite what you may think, falling in love is actually easy. Staying in love, having a handle on love that we can actually hold until death do us part, that's the hard thing. So those are not my questions. They're not the questions that I want to ask. They're not the things on my list. Some of you girls have a list when it comes to dating, when you're thinking about who you're going to date. So you kind of go, they need to be tall, dark, and handsome. They need to be able to, to sing like Harry Styles. They need to have 
the eyes that you could just forget yourself in, like Zac Efron. And they need to have the skin of Timothy Chalamet or something. I don't know what girls want. I, I kind of I asked some single girls in the church, I said, what's, look, like, what's on your list? And they, all, all I got back was, if their name starts with J, just stay away. <laughs> but it's not just girls that have a list. I met a guy with a list and he had 112 things on his list that, uh, that a woman had to uh, meet those 112 criteria before he would date her. Now, he is now happily married, surprisingly, <laughs> because he did find a lady that met 111 of those qualifications, but he almost didn't date her because on his list he had that she needs to play classical piano and she played classical violin. But thankfully, he dated her and now they're happily married and uh, they're pastors in a church up in Queensland. So you should have a list. We need to have standards because, as the saying goes, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything or, in this case, anyone. But the list should be not that long, not 112. But what's on the list and what's not on the list is important. Things that are not on the list. The car that he drives should not be on the list because that will change. His personality type. Important to know and understand each other. Same as his love language. Also important to know to help you show love in the best way that you can but not a deal-breaker. Any personality type combo, any love language combo can work if both people are submitted to Christ. How much money does he make? Not on the list because that will change. But if he doesn't date, I mean, if he doesn't work, he's not ready to date. So basically, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds in the room, you're not ready. <laughs> Does he have a six-pack? Not on the list. Do you know why? Because we all actually have six-packs. We just have love handles over the top. Amen? Everyone over 30? Come on. <laughs> Brock, you're like 20. <laughs> Do some sit-ups, bro. <laughs> All right, so I have 10 questions uh, to ask. Not to make someone fall in love with you, if that's even possible, but to help you stay in love, or for those that are already married in love, to help you set an example for the future generations to come. Now, these are written from the perspective of a female seeking to find a suitable husband, but husbands in the room can ask it of themselves to see how they would go, and hopefully it would apply to everybody in whatever situation you are in. Okay, 
Josh's love handles. Here we go. Question one. Can I happily let him lead me spiritually? So we've just talked about that, that the male is to lead. So is he someone that can lead you spiritually? If the answer is yes, we'll go on to question two. Question two, are we equally yoked in our ministry calling? And that idea of being equally yoked comes from 2 Corinthians 6.14. The version that I've got doesn't talk about, doesn't use the word yoked, but has the essence of what it's talking about. It says, you are not the same as those who do not believe. So don't join yourselves to them. Good and evil don't belong together. Light and darkness cannot share the same room. But I believe that it goes further than that. I showed these questions to uh, Belinda the other day to ask her uh, input and she kind of said, but I'm not equally yoked to you because your leadership gift is so much more than mine and so we're not equally yoked. But we are yoked together. She is my biggest cheerleader, my number one fan. And when we do go to places like Cambodia, I'm there to support her. That was her ministry calling. I have a ministry calling. She has a ministry calling. They do overlap, but sometimes they are different. And so she supports me through what I do. And so I support her as well through what she does. And although I preached every day when we were in Cambodia, she was the one that saw all the salvations when we were in Cambodia. And so, um, yeah, so <clears throat> look, not just are they Christian, are they not, but look, are you wanting to actually go in the same direction? That's what being equally yoked is all about. It's talking about that yoke of, on an oxen that is, needs to be ploughing the same field and going in the same direction in life. So are we equally yoked in our ministry calling? <clears throat> Question three. Does he treat his mother in a way that I want to be treated? Ephesians 6, 1-3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments with a promise. How does he treat his mother? Which goes on to question four. Does he see the value in all people? How does he treat those furthest away from him who can give him nothing? It's a true measure of someone when they can sort of see that this person gives me nothing they can contribute nothing to me. How do I still treat them? Do I still see them? Do I actually hold on to that word of God that all people are created in the image and likeness of God? So don't just look at the way that he treats you because he's wanting something from you. Look at how he treats the person furthest from him in his life that can give him nothing. Question five, am I the best version of myself when I am with him? And is he the best version of himself when we're together? 
Question six, this is an interesting one. Does he think about me when we are apart? Does he think about me when we are apart? Or is it just this selfish thing that you're only thinking about the other person when you're with them and then when you're not with them, you're thinking about your mates, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about all the things that you want to do because that's a sign of selfishness and not that sacrificial love that we've been talking about that he needs to lead with love. Question seven. Can we serve God better together than apart? If you can serve God better together, then the relationship is blessed by God and God's going to use you mightily as a couple. Question eight. Do I want what's best for him, even if it's not me? Question number nine. Does he delight in me above everything except for Jesus? And Proverbs 5, 18 to 19 says, Be happy with the wife you married when you were young. She gives you joy as your fountain gives you water. She is as lovely as a graceful deer. Let her love always make you happy. Let her love always hold you captive. And again, I think if I'm being honest, this is the one that I failed at in the last few months, probably going back to the start of COVID. That when COVID hit and I wanted to love you all and protect you all and lead you through that time, it wasn't that I went to leading with power, but I kind of went into leading from process. There were so many things that I had to do and so many different tasks that I had to perform and, you know, government regulations and all of this stuff that I realised or we realised that I'd gone from that place, I still loved her, but I wasn't captivated by her like I was when we were young. And so, and so I had to repent of that. And I had to get back to that place where I was captivated by her. And for Belinda, it was the worst six months of her life. But for so many in this room, it's the way that your marriages are. And my heart breaks for that when I saw what it did to her. That when I led out of process, not with power, but we were just kind of going through the motions. It was just kind of work and this and all the different things that I had to do. And I let that come and crowd out my love and my captivation for her. And so I needed to, to work on that and repent of that. Which leads on to number 10. Can I easily and happy forgive him when he fails? Does he have the joy of repentance? And I've got a bit of probably an obscure verse for this one. Luke 7.47, it says, Then I tell you, the great love she has shown proves that her sins 
that her many sins have been forgiven. So that's the story of this prostitute, this woman with this alabaster jar, and she comes and she's just she's captivated by Jesus and who he is. She wants to give everything that she has, everything that she owns to him. And they say, but she's, she's not doing the right thing. You shouldn't let her touch you, Jesus. But he says, no, because she's been forgiven of much, she loves much. And so if we're going to lead with love, the way to increase our love is that when we stuff up, when we make mistakes, it's not that we need to just try harder and grit our teeth and hold out the word of God more. It's that we actually need to run to that place of repentance because it's repentance that unlocks that idea of forgiveness and repentance unlocks love in a way that we can then, husbands, love our wives in the best way possible. So if you can answer yes to all 10 of those love handles, you're ready to tango. It takes two to tango. Husbands, if your wife could answer all 10 of those about you, you know how to tango. So dance. Dance like no one is watching, but know that the next generation needs someone to watch. And if you're married and you didn't answer yes to all 10 of those, it just reveals that the Holy Spirit needs to take the lead. Because for all of us in this room, no matter what situation you are in, we need to know this morning that we could answer yes to Christ for all of those. He leads us. He gives us a higher calling. He treats us with love, respect and honor, even if we don't deserve it. He makes us the best version of ourselves possible. He thinks constantly about us. His thoughts outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. We can do nothing without him. He delights in us. He gave what was best for us, even at the cost of his own life. And he went to the cross, that place of torture and shame, with joy because of what it would do for us. The cross is the first and greatest step in this passionate dance towards us. But will we, in submission, follow his lead and pick up our cross and enter into that dance with him? Would you stand as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you first loved us. Lord, we want you to be the head of this church. We want you to be the head of of our households to take the lead to set the rhythm of our life to set the tempo that you know the moves of love and you demonstrated them to us all upon that cross 
Lord, I just I pray for all the husbands in the room and the husbands to be in this room. That this world is trying to sabotage this dance. This world is trying to say that we can't lead. That it's sexist, that it's misogynistic, that it's outdated. But Lord, that's just because they haven't seen the way that you dance. You don't lead us from a place of power. You lead us from a place of love, laying your life down for us. And so I pray for every Christian man in this room, under the sound of my voice, that you would learn to lead in love. That you would learn the steps that Jesus set down for us. To love our wives and future wives the way that they were destined to be loved as made in the image and likeness of God. And Lord, I pray for, for every female in the room that they would learn how to, in submission, follow. Not follow because it's demanded of them, not follow because it's been lorded over them, but follow because they have been loved. But Father, we thank you that all of this has only been made possible because you first loved us upon that cross. You gave us a handle with which to hold on to love, not just this day, but each and every day until death do us part we get to be with you and experience love in a whole new way as we get to spend eternity with you. Let's worship, church. How good was the message this morning? We really hope it was able to resonate with you. If it did, feel free to head to our website at life.house, head to the My Response tab and tell us all about it. We're so happy that you're able to join us online today. We do miss you. We hope you are here in person next time. But next week, Sunday at 10am, we hope to see your smiling faces here. Until then, see ya.